You're listening to Create Wealth Through Franchising, and I'm your host, Kim Daly. In my 20 years as a franchise consultant, I've helped hundreds of people achieve their dreams of building and scaling franchise businesses to create wealth. The interview you're about to hear can also be found on my YouTube channel, where I post new franchising content multiple times per week. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and to my YouTube channel at kimdaily.tv. Now, enjoy the show. Today, we have a juicy topic for everybody, the dreaded FDD, right? So many people have lots of heartache when they get into that franchise disclosure document. And that's why I always love to coach my candidates before they get into the FDD so that I can like prevent them from going to all these crazy places. But today, you don't have to hear it from The Daily Coach. I have a great friend of mine. His name is Josh Brown. He is a franchise attorney, and he also has a podcast called Franchise Euphoria. Welcome to The Daily Coach YouTube channel, Josh. Thrilled to be here. It's like uh, a little bit of payback because I was you had me as a guest on your show. <laughs> you so are now a it's great your turn guest. to be in the God. hot seat. <laughs> You just bring so much energy, and it was just a pleasure and so easy to interview you. Oh, well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love talking about franchising, I'm sure, just like you. So, you know, Josh, all right, so, you know, I've been a franchise consultant for 19 years. I've literally helped, like, thousands of people go down this path. I don't think I've ever met one candidate who was like, oh, yeah, that FDD was like a a walk park. <laughs> Most of them, if they read it before I get to them, are like, oh, my God, do I have any rights? It's like, you know, I'm putting in all the I'm putting in all the money. I'm taking all the risk. But then the franchisor has all the rights. Like, how is this even fair? So <laughs> it's called franchising. That's why. Um, yeah. So I've been doing this now. Gosh, 19, you've been doing it 19 years. That's amazing. I've been I started doing it when for... I was 15. Don't, don't forget that. Wow. Yeah. So I've been doing it for 15 years on the legal side. And then before that, I worked for two different franchise companies and helped them grow before I went to law school. So I kind of know it from the business side and the and the legal side. But here's the thing about a franchise relationship. And, and, and you know this, but people just have to understand this going in. You're not going to be on equal footing with the franchisor. And that's by design because they're the ones who created the system. They're the ones who are providing you with the opportunity to go use their model, to go use their systems, their processes, their marketing materials, and their name to go try to make this business work in whatever location or locations you're doing it in. Now, they have a model to uphold, okay? They have standards to uphold. And that in part is what that FDD is all about, right? I mean, they're they're telling you about their model in the first 23 items, the those mandatory items. They're telling you all about the franchise. And then you get in to the actual franchise agreement, and now they're telling you, okay, here's here's the rules in the sandbox. And and I've never met somebody, and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people. I, I've never met somebody who just like you who doesn't come off and say, Oh my gosh, this is wow. Um, this is a lot of information, sometimes is what they say, or, wow, this is really one-sided. And my comment to that is, yes, it is. Now we got to talk about what are the most important items to you. 
because um, sometimes you know some things are more important to, to certain people uh, than to others. Like um, a personal guarantee. <laughs> That's that, always that big. throws a lot of people off. <laughs> well, let me t let's talk about that. That's a really great topic to talk about. Um, and I have a couple of different. I don't have a standard personal guarantee response. What I say is, is if you're going in with a franchisor that is truly tried and true, and what I mean by that is they've been around for a long while. Uh, they have a number, a significant number of operating franchisees, um, all that appear to be successful. They have a well-known brand name. You have a, you're going to have a very hard time getting away from a personal guarantee unless you as the franchisee bring so much to the table that they're willing to negotiate on that. I have worked with groups of franchisees who are very sophisticated um, and for particular reasons, the franchisor was willing uh, to go away from that when it was a, a truly established franchisor. Right. But there are lots of franchisors that aren't established uh, as well. And when I look at those, I do think that a personal guarantee from that perspective uh, should be somewhat negotiable. Um, and the reason is, you know, sometimes the franchisee is taking a big risk just going in with the franchisor. You know, if they don't have a lot of locations, if they haven't been around for a while, if they're, for, if they're the first franchisee to go into a particular state, right? So now, now as I tell those, those franchisees, I say, well, you know, yes, the franchisor should be helping to build the brand, but if you're the first in this state and they don't have a big national footprint yet, you're actually building the brand in that state. So I kind of look at a uh, that moment it's, in it's time. very situational. Yeah. At that moment yes. in time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, the daily coach always likes to spin everything positively, right? That's just what I've known for. So let me, let's go back and like, so this is what I tell my candidates and you tell me, Hey Kim, that's horrible advice. <laughs> so what I usually <laughs> tell my, my candidates is look, just like you said, it's their business to award to you. So they have to protect the integrity of the brand. What is a brand? A brand is a consistent consumer experience. If they don't have a set, a, a tight set of guidelines and bylaws and how we're all gonna play together in the sandbox, how do they control what people do, right? So the FDD really protects you when it's that tight, when you're a franchisee in good standing with the brand. True? Uh, true, in part, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it protects them. I mean, it's, it protects both parties because it's a contract that specifies, you know, the terms. But yeah, it protects both. But meaning like, so imagine what I tell my candidates is imagine if the guy who wants to go rogue and make up his own rules is your neighbor and he's hurting your opportunity because he's not abiding by the laws that we're all playing together and people are having a horrible experience. Well, most consumers may not be savvy enough to know that, this location three miles down the road is owned by a different owner where you might get a better experience. They may be like, oh, that company brand A, don't go there, right? So when the franchisor has a way to step in and get that franchisee under control or say, hey, if you don't wanna play by our rules, we're gonna kick you out and sell the business or the location to somebody who will abide by our rules, then what I'm saying is in that agreement, that agreement and the terms of this FDD are um, protecting you. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair statement. I mean, look, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, businesses turn into franchises to grow. 
and they do it. They can grow other ways, right? I mean, a business can decide to grow corporately. A business can decide to grow just organically, you know, and they, they choose the franchise method, methodology um, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, one important reason is that they're choosing to use other people's money, other people's investment to help grow their brand. But you don't get a brand that lasts for a long, long time if you're not clear on the guidelines and if you're not clear on the rules and the structure. And so I truly believe the best franchise systems have those rules and structure in place. And the best ones um, take it seriously and make sure that when people aren't violating them, they send the appropriate notices and so forth to, to to help them along the way. I, I truly believe that most franchise systems are out there trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are bad apples for sure, but there's bad apples everywhere. Um, and the most important thing, one of the most important things, I don't know, Kim, if you talk to this um, with your folks, but you know, when, when people come to me, they say, well, how much do you think you can change in the FDD? And I said, well, I think you're approaching it from the wrong the attorneys say, because I'll tell you what the consultant says. <laughs> well, I know what the, okay, I, I'll t- I'm going to say what I say, and then you say what you say. We'll match hey, Josh, up. I'll say what okay. I say. Okay. So, um, going to be the difference I between is, sales and operations or. <laughs> well, what I say is, listen, I say every franchisor takes a different tactic. A lot of them will say, we're not going to change anything. But in my experience, most of the time they will make certain changes if they're reasonable. But I say, your reason to hire me is not just so that I can make changes to the FDD. In fact, you need to look at it from the perspective that I may not be able to make any changes to it. The bigger reason to hire me is that I've written these documents from scratch numerous times over because I, I, I represent a lot of franchisors too, and I've turned businesses into franchises. And I can explain to you what it is that you're fully signing up for. So it's the educational piece that is really, really important. But on top of that, yeah, I mean, there's going to be things that I find in there that I'm probably going to push back on um, and, and, and see. But I'm not going to be unreasonable about it. And that's why I tell my clients, if they start getting to the point where they get unreasonable, I say, well, you're just wasting your time. I mean, they're not going to change this. It's a fundamental part of their system, but they may negotiate, you know, on something else. Hey, Daily Coach fans, if you're inspired by this conversation, I invite you to email me right now to explore this franchise opportunity. My email is inquire at kimdaily.tv. Because basically I tell people, look, I'm not an attorney. I will never give you legal advice and I will not tell you not to seek an attorney, you know, but if you're seeking an attorney, it should be more to understand what you're agreeing to rather than to come in sort of guns blazing, like I'm going to redline the whole thing. Like I've had other franchisors on this YouTube channel who said, look, we don't, we don't negotiate anything in our FDD. It kind of is a take it or leave it. You know, it's our system. I mean, these are some very, very big franchisors. And so what I'm saying to my candidates is as you read the FDD, if you have like big questions first go to the franchisor because they're not the enemy they're your partner like this is a marriage when you say yes the relationship begins so they they want you to be happy and comfortable 
And then if if you're still struggling with things, go out to the family of franchisees. All of the other people who've already said yes to this, who signed this franchise agreement, did they use an attorney? Did their attorney get anything for them, you know? Or did they find that they spent that money just for peace of mind and it was worth the money? But like use the validation. Like we use validation to understand the earnings potential, to understand, you know, the ramp up, the training, the support. You can use validation to help with, the franchise disclosure document as well. Do you like that advice or no? Yeah, I don't think that that's bad advice. I think that, and this is where, this is the only place I'd probably push back a little bit on that is, and it's a real pet peeve of mine in franchising. It drives me nuts when franchisors take the position, you know, that, hey, listen, here you're going to sign up for a 10-year term. We're going to give you a 250-page document, and you don't get to change anything. Don't even, Go see an attorney, but don't bother asking for that. I mean, give me a break. It's like when you – and this is what I mean by that. It's like when you when you make a deal to buy a business and you have a term sheet or you have a letter of intent, you sort of have the idea of what the arrangement is going to be, and then you negotiate on a few points here and there. I think it's, number one, disingenuous by franchisors – and. I'm saying this as somebody who represents a lot of franchisors um, to come right out of the gate and say, we won't change anything because the reality is they will. I've I've done this for a long time. There are very few times where they won't change certain things. But Josh, but things that are like monumental or like, are we talking semantics? I mean, in my experience, no, they were not going to change semantics, semantics. Forget about semantics. I'm talking about stuff that actually is, is something where, if a franchisee is sincere, and this is the only way a franchisee is going to know if a franchisor will, will make a change, they have to draw a line in the sand. That's why I tell my clients, you have to – this is what we review. I will show you a bunch of different things, and we'll talk about a bunch of different things. We'll narrow it down to a few items, and you have to say, is this so important to you that you're willing to walk away from the deal? Because if it is, then you will find out if they are willing to make a change. And when the franchisees take that tactic a lot of times, if it is a reasonable request, and I have to put that caveat on here, if it is a reasonable request, I find that franchisors are willing to discuss those things and sometimes negotiate. Interesting. And the other thing is I don't that, find that to be true, so that's very interesting. <laughs> Well, I I know it's it's it's. So well, I, had, I just had one recently. And if people are curious, they have to ask the questions and see what the answers are. <laughs> well, the key is part of the challenges is like when we say when I say reasonable, I'm coming to it from a perspective of having done this for many many years. Um, when somebody who's new to franchising comes in and thinks reasonable, they might have a totally different definition of. Okay, that's a totally fair right. point. <laughs> You're coaching them I mean, on what's fair. That, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I I spend a lot of time saying they're not going to change this, they're not going to change this. Um, but let me give you an example, Kim. Like sometimes these franchise systems, you know, not every um, franchise state that has franchise state laws. Mm-hmm requires that there be an addendum within the FDD for that state. Like in Indiana, where I'm at, there are specific franchise state laws, but the franchisor does not have to include an Indiana addendum. Mm -hmm. Well, I try to convince the franchisors, hey, you should include an addendum because you want to be in compliance with Indiana laws if you are selling and operating franchises in Indiana. Because your agreement is not going to supersede the statutes. The statutes are going to control. So it's to your benefit and it's to the franchisee's benefit 
to have these things uh, in, in alignment with one another. So if you have a contract that clearly violates Indiana law, as an example, then let me help you through this process and get it so that it matches up with Indiana law. That's a win for you, franchisor, and that's a win for the franchisee. Yeah, yeah. Um, you talked about, we, I, we'll go back full circle here for a second on the personal guarantee. One thing about personal guarantees, I, and I'm curious your position on this, is you know, there's a personal guarantee for the actual franchisee, but then oftentimes the franchisors require spousal guarantees. Yep, yep. And, and here's my position on that. I'm usually pretty clear on this. If your spouse is going to be involved in the franchise, that's a fair ask. If your spouse is not going to be involved in the franchise, that's not a fair ask. So I think the way, and, and I've learned most of what I know. I am not attorney <laughs> with the attorney either. Nor am I giving any legal advice here. Okay, people? No, I'm not either. You call yeah. Josh when you want the real questions answered. <laughs> But like, as it was explained to me by um, the National Director of Development for a billion dollar franchise, a billion dollar company, um, he once said to me, look, Kim, the reason we have a personal guarantee is we can't have our franchisees bankrupting their business bank account. And then in the meantime, flowing all that cash to their personal business account or to their wife's business account and then going going to buy an island in the South Pacific and then saying, oh, we can't pay our royalties because we're bankrupt. So I'm like, well, that totally makes sense. And it's totally fair, right? So if you're on the hook, you're on the hook. If you want to be out of the business, sell the business. I mean, the business is yours to sell. So really, like, what's the real big deal with a personal guarantee? In my experience in 19 years, I've never seen a franchisor go after, not in the world I live in, in this, you know, what I call the Boca Raton world of franchising here at Franchise. You're in Pleasantville. You live in Pleasantville, Kim. You, you got, you got the whole thing going. This is Pleasantville franchising 100%. Here at Franchise, this is the world that we've created, right? We, we 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 pick the best of the best franchisors to work with so we don't have these kind of headaches and situations. I mean, I work for referrals, so I can't I can't be placing people into systems where franchisors are just screwing people over like I would never be able to grow my business, you know? So they franchisors want me to help them grow their business. I want the people I place in their systems to be successful so they'll keep, you know, referring their family and friends to me. So we we protect the, you know, it's a very, and not always, we can't control everything, but it's a protected little environment we have here. So in my little Pleasantville, like that's how we talk about the personal guarantee. But again, like if someone was really struggling with that, I would 100% say you should call a franchise attorney because you need to understand it for yourself and make sure you have, you can make peace with it. I've never had anybody walk away though from a deal because of a personal guarantee in the end. Most people would just be like, all right, I want the deal. This is just how we all play together. Well, and sometimes I try to find a middle ground. So I I'm, I oftentimes um, will try to suggest a burn off personal guarantee. And what that means from a legal perspective is if somebody's got signing on to a franchise agreement and it's a 10 year term and the franchisor wants a full personal guarantee for that entire 10 years and they're not willing to not have a personal guarantee, then sometimes I will suggest, well, why don't we do a reasonable burn-off period? Meaning, assuming that the franchisee is in full compliance with the agreement, in full compliance with payments and structure and everything for the first four years 
after that four-year period, the personal guarantee goes away. Not because they're going to go off and you know screw screw the franchisor over or anything, but because that shows a good faith um, compliance for four plus years. And you know the th- and the thing is, there are sometimes just economic factors that come into play, as we all know. Um, and things that are out of our control, COVID, other kind of factors. Um, you know, maybe maybe you're in a retail franchise system, and something opened up, you know, across the street in a different in a different area that's now you know taken more of your revenue. I mean, there's all sorts of factors mm-hmm. that you know good operators can operate around sometimes, but there are things that you don't have in your control. And the reality is, is that you know people. Uh, if you're if you're operating the franchise in good faith and it is more like a partnership, which I agree a hundred percent with you, that's what it should be. Um, then I think it's reasonable to say, okay, well, we'll do a personal guarantee to start, but let's have a burnoff period and let's just see after you know three four years of doing this, um, you know, then it can go away. But I I hear you. I don't see them busting out. Um, uh, you know, deals a lot. Candidly, um, you know, I see a lot of franchisees um, that that come to me after the fact, and they never even even took a look at the personal guarantee. They just signed everything, and, and they didn't even know what it was. Once they get off and running, it's the, the relationship supersedes the legal document. As long as you are working in good faith and are compliant, like you said, and you know, you don't go MIA on the franchisor, right? That, that's what they're trying to protect. They're trying to protect their brand and have control over all of the outlets that have their name on the brand. And ultimately, when they're controlling that, they're controlling all of the investors' money. I mean, most people, this is their life savings they're putting into the business. So again, you're, they're, when they fight for the right of the franchise, they're fighting for you. They're protecting you. That's how I, that's how I see it. But here's where they go wrong. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna be controversial here for a second. All right, yeah, I, I, and then okay. I want to talk talk about some red flag, other red flags, like just high level. All right, things. I'll tell you. Well, I'm gonna tell you one right now. This is where I was gonna go. Contra- Here's where I'm gonna highlight some things where I think franchisors get overly aggressive. Where it's not really about their brand; it's about additional rights that they protect for themselves that really doesn't have a benefit to their franchisee. And I'll give you a, another red flag example. And this is what I get Territorial- for talking to the attorney. <laughs> I know territorial <laughs> protection. <laughs> Territorial protection, right? Right. So you can if, call if you here are... on the Daily Coach YouTube channel. <laughs> so if you are getting a territory, okay, and you're supposed to be getting a protected territory, I think it's very important for both sides that your territory actually be a protected territory from the franchisor coming in and putting other locations. Um, too close to you because oftentimes there are carve outs in territorial protections for satellite locations, you know, whether it be on a college campus, whether it be in a hotel, whether it be and, you know, those don't count um, as as part of, of your protection. But here's another thing that I think that I see a lot in franchise agreements that. I, I just don't know why I, I know why franchisors do it, but I don't think it's for the protection of this brand. It's it's for the protection of whatever the franchisor does in the future. And that is you'll see a lot of language sometimes that'll say, hey, if we decide to sell or buy another company, we are totally unrestricted from putting any of those, whatever business it is, into your territory. Well, sure. well I mean, if I'm a franchisee, I kind of go, well, wait a minute, I, I'm buying this brand. I don't know what 
other brands you're going to buy in the future. But a lot of franchisors, if they have success in one area, will look at other areas and they can, they could be similar. And that's one of those things that to me, when I red flag is a bit strong, red flag sort of says, Hey, stop, don't go any further. I think of a red flag as that's one of those things I will identify for my clients and say, listen, I think it's reasonable to go back and say, fine, you, you as a, a franchisor can conduct any business you want. You know, you've got full assignability. You've got full rights to engage in anything else. All I'm asking for is I'm paying you money. I'm paying for these rights and I'm going to be a good soldier here, but I need you to tell let me know that you're not going to stick something else in my territory, even though it's under a different brand, but you own it that could possibly be competitive with what I'm already doing. Like and a hair care company that owns like, like, like super, like Regis owns super cuts and cost cutters. Is that what you mean? So it's like a same value proposition to the customer, different brand. I gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Well, then you're again, competing against that billion dollar giant who's probably going to say, sorry, you know, and I could argue as the, the right. as the um, kind of marketer or from the business owner perspective that look, you know, every brand has its, you know, sport clips is different from supercuts, is different from great clips. They all have, they all offer the same low cost hair cuttery, right? But they have a little bit of a different spin and that attracts a little bit of a different customer. Or maybe this location is more convenient than that location. I totally can see what you're saying though. Like, and and what I was thinking of is like when like a Dunkin' Donuts has a franchisee or Carvel ice cream, we saw this, where then they were selling Carvel cakes in the grocery store that was sort of really close to the store and the franchisees would freak out. Actually, I have a video about this. And, you know, my take on that is, you know, look, you're they're trying to capture a percentage of the market that might not come through your drive through or come into your store, the convenience people that want to take it home. And so, yes, I, I totally see it from your perspective and it can be frustrating. Um, and that that is something to discuss with the franchisor to make sure that, you know, you you that's where that partnership has to come in. But ultimately, that is where they can say, you know, look, there's or here's another scenario. Let's say that when they award you the territory, this happens. I work a lot in Dallas and they award this territory. But then there's so much growth that over the five or 10 year period, they could absolutely hold another store. Right. So what does the franchisor do with that? They want to grow their brand. Right. So what are they to do? Say, oh, well, we've we know we gave away the farm 10 years ago and now we just have to sit and live with it. It's a fair point. I mean, I I do agree. I I, I think that, and a lot of this at the end of the day comes down to trust is what we're talking about. Trust in a in a partnership, and and I agree with you. I mean, I the Carvel example. I could I could say that you know part of the benefit of them selling those cakes in the grocery store is that, like you said, somebody might be in the grocery store might have never seen the retail location. Now they get one of those cakes, they like it, and then they learn that the retail location is there. And now it's just building up more brand awareness. I also think sometimes too, that having more businesses of a similar ilk, even if it's a competitive business, the market's big enough for all of them, right? So, and, and people get tired. The, the example is like, you know, fitness concepts. Well, you come from this background, you know, fitness. Well, fitness concepts are really interesting because there's a gazillion of them and they're they're all over the place but what I, what you notice with fitness concepts a lot are well somebody goes to you know 
an orange theory or whatever that whatever it is and they love it love it love it and then maybe they want something different so now they go to a different one mm-hmm. and and you you have some hopping and some switching and it and it goes all directions so the same people who are at your location that are now trying something else out there's people at those locations that are now trying something different of course and the market's just big enough to to Absorb, exactly. absorb all of that. You don't need but, you know, everybody. Kim, I think- you just have to figure out how many people you need to make the kind of money you want to make to make this investment worthwhile. When people re- let go of the need to, 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 you can still dominate the market. You can be the dominant player. And I love that competitiveness in a business owner, right? But at the end of the day, you need competition. Because you need other people to screw up so that you can win the customer when they screw up, right? Like competition just makes everybody better. It's learning how to be a better business owner and think about the competitiveness of it versus going after the franchisor over things that at the end of the day may not may really benefit you and not really take away business from you. I think when you're in a relationship with the franchisor, um, it, it comes down to that relationship. And if you feel like, they don't have your best interest at heart anymore, sell your business and get out, right? Like, don't sit there and feel like a victim or, you know, kind of like feel like you you have a right to like sue that franchisor. I mean, maybe you disagree, but I say, look, you know, if you're unhappy with the situation, put a for sale sign on your business, get out and move on. Chalk it up to a great experience and take your knowledge and go into another franchise system or do something different. Why Why make it miserable for you and for them when ultimately they're gonna do what they're gonna do? <laughs> yeah, I never, I mean, you know, like I said, as a franchise lawyer, I've, I've done my fair share of litigation, but I never recommend that. I mean, it's litigation in business. I mean, nobody really ever wins, even if you win, right? I mean, it's it's costly, so costly. it's stressful. And at the end of the day, you're talking about usually just money. Um, and I'm not saying money's not important, but I'm saying, you know, this isn't this isn't life or death usually. Um, and and so, you know, at the end of the day, there are other w- better ways to work those scenarios out. I think that um, trust is such a big part in franchising, and I think that it goes both ways. And I and I work with tons and no wonderful franchisors and no wonderful franchisees. And also no not so wonderful franchisors and not so wonderful franchisees. So it does go both ways. But you know, I think that one of the big uh things that I see a lot is, you know, you've got to have that trust, but you also have to, like they say, trust but verify. So oftentimes I've noticed in franchising where a franchisee will have questions and will they're in that honeymoon phase where, you know, they haven't signed yet. Maybe they're at discovery day or they're getting ready to go to discovery day. And they'll say, you know, I read this agreement and this says, you know, this here in this section and the franchisor sometimes will say, yeah, but we don't, I know it says that, but we don't really enforce that or we don't do that. The, my point on that is if you're a franchisor and you have something in your agreement, that is not how you act in reality or you don't enforce it, then take it out of your agreement. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there is um, what's called an integration clause in all of these agreements that says that if I had to sum it up, it says it doesn't matter what we tell you. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter about what any representations. If it's not in this agreement, then it doesn't exist. So the four corners of that document 
control. And so, again, it doesn't have to be an antagonistic relationship. I have great negotiations yeah, with most. <laughs> no, you want it to be, but you want it to be productive too. And I, it's like, it's like if somebody were to say, you know, if, if, why is it in the agreement if that's not how the franchisor does it? Okay, so then just take it out of the agreement. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a reasonable request. Reasonable. There's, I mean, if there's something I'm not thinking about there, but it's like, well, if you in practice don't do it and it's just in there, then let's just take it out or let's discuss why it's in there, okay. you know, in the first yeah. place. So, you know, it's it's a very um, – uh, it, it's been a very interesting working with these different franchise systems, as as I know you have over, over all these years. And you, you get to kind of see behind the curtain a little bit and you get to see how – how they operate and how they grow. And I will tell you this, overall, the ones that really, really grow and are long lasting treat their franchisees well because they need their franchisees. They can't grow without their franchisees. Total rookie mistake to not, you know, treat your franchisees right. But you know what else is a a rookie mistake? To have a really loose, loosey goosey FDD. Like we, I see this a lot where you get you know, um, a young entrepreneur who just gets inspired to turn his business into a franchise, goes out there and awards 25 locations organically. And then he comes to franchise or finds like, you know, um, people who get like consultants who can help his franchise grow. And, and now he's adding like a call center and more marketing support. And he's got to increase the fees for that. Well, then what happens is he's got these kind of legacy owners or version 1.0 owners who signed up under the loosey goosey terms and, you know, who, who got to go out there and do it any old way and didn't have to pay fees and all of this. And then he's got to have these version 2.0 owners who are buying into a tighter system with more control that should lead to faster ramp up and better results. Right. And during that, like, period of going from, you know, the legacy owners to the new owners, there really isn't any validation, even though it's a proven franchise with 25 franchise owners, we can't really use those franchise owners because they're not going to tell the same story that we're looking for here, right? So you get this whole kind of a mess. And over time, what ends up happening in my experience is the legacy owners over time sort of get not pushed out, but they just, um, you know, either they adapt and change or they they kind of will sell their business and or will resell their territories to new people who want to come in under the new the new perspective. So the idea is that, you know, when you're reading an FDD, from my experience, the loosey goosey ones, like when I was a young consultant, I'd be like, yeah, dare those franchisors charge you for everything and make you do it their way. You know, I'd be like, us from that. Well, it didn't take me very long to figure out that those were actually the systems that were probably going to survive. And those are the ones, those are the only ones that Kim Daly plays with today, right? Because of that, because that, that changeover from version one to version two, it's a little bit of a mess. And um, it's almost like starting all over and, but, but it's messier. <laughs> well, and a lot of times too, and I know you see this is, um, you know, sometimes you just have the wrong person in franchising. I mean, so not every. I, I really don't believe everybody is is ripe to be in franchising. I don't know if you. Oh, agree I with I hundred percent agree I, with that. Yes, a franchisor and a franchisee. <laughs> not every not every person who says I'm going to have a franchise system has the right motives or the right amount of money or the right um, understanding of how to really build and support franchise owners. And certainly, there are people that are too entrepreneurial. Um, don't have the risk tolerance. There are so many factors why certain people are not potentially not going to become happy, successful franchise owners. 
I've I've actually talked numerous times clients out of, or tried to talk. I mean, at the end of the day, my job is not to make the decision. My yep. job is to tell them what I think and let them make the decision. But there are times when you know I'll work with somebody, and it's very apparent that oh my gosh, this is th- this person just needs to go do their own. A little thing. too controlling. And, yeah, well, yeah, too controlling, too entrepreneurial, yeah. wants it to be their way, yeah. right? I mean, and 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 that's just, you know, you have to go into a franchise system understanding that this is going to be an, quote, independently operated business, but independently operated under somebody else's system. Yeah, we're following and a leader. You, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're following a leader. Mm-hmm. And while we want that, we want franchisees' input to be valued. That doesn't mean because, you know, the franchisee in this one location thinks that they want to change up the way that they do it, that they shoot off an email and all of a sudden the whole system's going to change. I mean, you know, that's why we have franchisee associations. That's why we have, you know, advisory boards and all those sorts of things. It's a process and you have to be willing to work within that process. That's why so often, you know, people who have come from a corporate background, from upper management, from the military, and so forth, who are used to those sorts of protocols, do a lot better in franchising. When you have that relationship that inspires you, then bring the FDD in, right? Because if you go right to the FDD and make it all about the legal relationship, you are shot before you even get out of the gate. But if you find people and you find a culture and you find a vision and you find an opportunity where you can say, I really can see myself waking up every day inspired, excited about this opportunity, enjoying these people, not just the franchisor, but the family of franchisees. And then you bring in that FDD to say, well, this is just the legal document that's going to you know, bind us all together and help us all play together nicely. You're going to have a much happier time in a relationship and it's going to be a much easier process from beginning to end. You agree? I do agree. I mean, I think that... Um... I tell people all the time, especially when they're looking at a system, and as we talked about earlier, even if it's a newer system, I say, what you're buying into here is you're buying into the people. And if you feel like these are people who um, inspire you and you feel provide good leadership, the reality is the franchise system is going to change over time. Good God, if it doesn't change over time, what are they doing, right? I mean, who who has a business? I mean, I truly believe businesses do not stay static, Kim. They they they're either growing or they're dying. Absolutely. So when you're when you're growing, you're hopefully looking at data, you're hopefully looking at numbers and making good business decisions along with, you know, as they comport with the culture and the motivations and all those other things, but those are people decisions. Those are decisions and systems are going to change. And at the end of the day, what you're buying into is the leadership team, is the operational team, the management team of that franchise. And they're buying into you as well. Mm -hmm. They're buying into you as a franchisee that you're going to bring sophistication to the table, that you're going to bring integrity to the table, and that you're going to do the things to work with them. And that's what makes a great franchise relationship. Yep. FDDs did not keep doors open in 2020, but leadership, cultures of abundance, adaptation, that kept doors open in 2020. Boom, enough said. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Josh, I love it. I'm so happy I asked you to come talk about this dreaded FDD. It's not so scary after all. (laughs) And we find we even, we mostly agree. (laughs) Yes. That's great. Yeah, no, I appreciate. 
I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So if anybody wants further information on how to reach you, we'll certainly put it in the contact notes. But if you want to give a shout out to your website or to Franchise Euphoria, tell people how they can contact you. Well, you can find Franchise Euphoria wherever podcasts can be found. So you can reach me that way. But uh, Josh at IndieFranchiseLaw.com. So Josh at IndieFranchiseLaw.com is is the best place to email me. Perfect. And we'll put that down in the notes so anybody can find you if they want further information about that FDD. (laughs) It's my pleasure to bring you great franchising, the good news of franchising here at The Daily Coach. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. If you found this inspiring, please contact me at inquire at kimdaily.tv. My consulting services are totally free to you. Again, that email is inquire at kimdaily.tv. I can't wait to hear from you.